when two brothers battle it out in a familial grudge match, it doesn't matter who wins, because no matter the victor, humanity will lose. This is Kaiju versus History, War of the Gargantuas. Welcome back to this week's Grudge Match with us here on Kaiju vs. History. This is Sea Monster Patrick, and joining me in, indeed, a cage match for the belt is Mountain Monster Miles. <laughs> that rolls off the tongue. Hey, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm Triple M. Gosh. We still have... <laughs> We still have like three more movies in 1966. We're not. We're, we're about halfway through. We're over the hump for all the 1966. And we started off strong. Movies. We started off so strong in 66, <laughs> and and this, I mean, it's happened when you get oversaturated. And this is a time where you know kaiju movies were still going strong, but it was starting to get a little oversaturated. That was already starting to set in, and so coming into this movie, obviously 1966, Ishira Honda. War of the Gargantuas. Mm. I, we we already know that I wasn't super hot on Frankenstein Conquers the World. I, I, I'm guessing that Honda felt that he owed Germany another one. You didn't like. He didn't look exactly like Frankenstein. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even that. I mean, we we I, I believe both gave it a seven and probably a fairly generous seven, but just one of those things. Oh, it was certainly generous. It had the Ashiro Honda polish on it and it was also different enough from his other kaiju movies to be of interest to me and it was it was also like a versus movie so it had a lot going for it this is a versus Uh, movie too this is a versus movie eventually and this is the problem with a lot of versus movies of the early showa era is most of them eventually get you to the bout that you've been waiting for not unlike a wrestling pay-per-view where you wait for the main event. There is always some shenanigans going on until you get to the last 15 minutes. And I, I'm I'm glad to see that as time goes on, that becomes less and less. I mean, just thinking of the recent Godzilla versus Kong where they have intermittent bouts kind of throughout the movie. Yes. And I like that. And, and same with Godzilla uh, King of the Monsters, which we'll talk about further down the line. But I mean, that one is a movie where you have some consistent monster matches throughout the film. And I think that they finally kind of figure out that, hey, yes, the 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 denouement needs to be the big set piece, but like you can do other things to pepper it in because sometimes these human stories cannot carry in me. And boy, howdy, is that absolutely true of this week's film? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, I thought that the the human plot in Frankenstein conquers the world was, you know, <laughs> uh, passable. Not, yeah, it was passable. Not, not boring necessarily, but not really up to snuff. I would say for, for a lot of other Ishiro Honda films where sometimes it is just there to move the plot along this, this time. It, it does seems like people are trying to like throw a lot of other stuff in and not highlight those Kaiju matchups. Yeah, and and unlike uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, Ashiro Honda had a had a hand in the screenplay of this movie, which does kind of 
I think, key into why this one improves a little bit on some things while mm-hmm. not improving on others because Takeshi Kimura was the other writer who did write the first Frankenstein Conquers the Worlds as well as King Kong Escapes and Australian Monsters. And so I'm, I, don't, I don't know who to blame necessarily for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, normally we've talked about the, the director has some hand in the writing of the script. They usually don't do the screenplay completely by themselves. The, the original story, I believe, was uh, Takeshi Kimura, also known as Koro Mabuchi. But yeah, where, where, where the story comes from, I think it is the studio wanting to pump out another film while <laughs> the the cast and director had some free time in their schedule. And we'll get into how fast this movie was made. But yeah, and it, I have to give them credit for that because it's it's easy to lose sight of how many movies that were done in 1966. And this uh-huh. was not Honda's only movie in 1966. Yes, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, you know, I, I can give some leeway for some of these movies not being as 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 good as oh. others. Mm. But before we get into that, Patrick, mm. I need you to tell us what is in a title. Yeah, we, we danced around it, but War of the Gargantuas, that is the title we know it as here in the the US. Um the original Japanese title, the, the literal translation is Frankenstein's Monsters, and then subtitle uh Santa and and versus Gyra. So the Which two, I like a lot better. Yeah, yeah, it works. And if you see the Japanese characters come up in your version of the film the like the international release of the film it has them the characters for their names in the the colors i think one's red and one's green so it's it's very colorful title screen tons of other titles though around the world obviously it's got frankenstein in the title in germany in west germany it was called frankenstein duel of the giants also not a bad title yeah i don't know about the <laughs> this France reissue titled the, the monsters from the secret planets that doesn't um, make okay sense. so here's the thing love the title not for this movie the battle of the giant simians is the translation from the the uh, spanish which is great because that'll tie into a comment i will have later <laughs> well yeah i mean they if you're trying to explain this poster or you know show like a trailer then i, I think you get people to believe that these are like kind of you know, giant King Kong types, um, which, which Sweden like leaned hard into <laughs> Sweden. What was uh, the Swedish? Uh, King Kong Wars? Oh, yeah. And the War of the Gorillas in, in Mexico, La Guerra de los Gorillas. So you have a, a lot of things playing around with this doesn't really feel like it's connected to Frankenstein conquers the world or Frankenstein in general, you know, Nothing really screams it from the way that these monsters were designed either. <laughs> so no. it, it was marketed very differently wherever it, it it went over the world. And I should mention a lot of these international releases were several years after this movie came out. So even further away from the Frankenstein Conquers the World release, at least the initial release. Yeah. And this one is interesting because it is a sequel. I mean, they mention the prior monster from the prior film. Now, I will say I watched the international dub that Criterion has for HBO Max. 
um, because yeah. that was that was the edition they have released here. And um, I'll be frank, I just I, I looked a, I looked a little bit and didn't press too hard in watching it in its original Japanese when I could watch it in in high definition because it was a really nice transfer. And that so, version does have Russ Tamblin's audio, I believe. Yes, because this is the version that specifically calls them Frankenstein's instead of Gargantua's. Right. Because and, they and, were in two different dub audios. And also mentions the monsters' names once, but otherwise just calls them Red Monster and Green Monster. Is that right? No, in, in, H- in the HBO Max version, they call, th- they call them by name a handful of times. They, yeah, they well, do that, Sandan Gaira a couple of times. That's Not a thing. lot, but a couple they, times. I think in the international version, they... They do it like exclusively. I think that's the one that I watched mm. um, and also had a someone dub over Russ Tamblin, I believe, which, uh, which we'll talk about. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. But yeah, you, you mentioned this is a somewhat sequel to the prior years. Frankenstein conquers the world, but it's very tenuous. The, the connections between these two movies, because just like in. War of the Colossal Beasts and its predecessor, The Amazing Colossal Man, we talked about in season one. It's like the same monster, but they've like changed up the look, you know, same kind of monster. But the I guess the the plot from the first movie is supposed to continue on. But we have completely different characters in the sequel film. So instead of Glenn Lanigan's wife from the first movie it's suddenly like his sister that's looking for him even though in the first movie right he said he didn't have any other family yes yes um, um this, which this is great has something very similar and we have another pair of scientists and an american I, I, and a jap american man and a japanese woman played by different no the same actress for both female parts but we have a, a russ tamblin stepping in for nick adams in in this movie it's just it's it's very odd when they could have just i guess re said it was the same actor and just recast the 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 role with with well russ because tamblin. they were ref- so i i i so here's the thing is i feel like they kind of evil dead to this scenario where it's a sequel and a remake at the same time yeah, kind of. Be- well, because, I mean, they refer to the events of the first one, but it's as if both of them lived the first one. That's, yes, that is interesting. But th- they don't, they, they have a flashback in this movie, which we'll, we'll talk about as well, to basically having the same experiences with the original Frankenstein Conquers the, the World Frankenstein, but with sanda instead so we get a child yeah, actor he's, he's in still the a, sanda suit like i don't understand the choice to make them <laughs> basically look like sasquatches and if they had if they had billed this as sasquatches and i don't know if the first bigfoot sighting had been happened yet I, don't, I can't remember when that was i think that was the 70s maybe when that really popular one was i believe it was the late 60s early 70s yeah See, if they if they had built this as like a cryptid battle, then then I would be a little bit more like I, it's like I said last time we did we did one of these movies. The the Frankenstein aspect just doesn't excite me as a kaiju. There are things mm-hmm. you could do that could interest me, but well, as as done, and that remains with this one because it's basically watching, yeah, kind of a, a, a King Kong fight, which again, you know me. I'm not the biggest <laughs> Kong or ape person. I 
I, I gotta say, I like this at least more that design wise than yes, it is Control. But then also that certainly had better Baragon, and I really like that suit design. So it's kind of like a mixed bag. Um, yeah, here we just get two two shaggy dogs, and <laughs> well, you, they are you get a, you get a green one. They're built, and there are other the, the original film before it had a title was being billed as the brothers frankenstein there's a couple of working titles that they had the frankenstein brothers strife of frankenstein duel of the frankensteins but yeah what some of those titles made you think that these are both offshoots of the frankenstein so we, we found out in that movie if you cut off a hand the hand is still alive and will eventually grow a whole new Right. Frankenstein, like any part of them, kind of like in... Which I kind of hate. <laughs> what was the other gaiju that could do that? Reptilicus? Yes. Yeah, Reptilicus, because yeah. they had the, the tail, and then some ding-dong leaves the, the, the freezer door open, and it basically becomes the monster, from what I remember. Yeah, so we so we, we get to see a little bit of this, and you, you uh, we, were, we were first introduced to i guess the bad one gyra who is this green frankenstein and sasquatch creature well yeah and at first they pester these these scientists in saying oh is this the sanda that you released and obviously uh russ tamblin and and everyone else is like no this couldn't be you know this is a very nice monster that we had in in captivity that and they still think he's dead yeah, well, um, rightly, rightly so. Depending on the the version of that film, <laughs> and, and I will, I will say, actually, probably, and if you're going to ask this later, anyway, my one of my favorite scenes is the opening with the giant kraken creature. Yes, which, the tentacle effects looked phenomenal. I was just really, really impressed by the. I, I, they, I don't, I don't know if they ever name it a kraken or just giant squid or octopus, but yeah, I think. Well, I think it was devil fish in one of the suggested titles for the American version of mm. Frankenstein conquers the world. <laughs> like Frankenstein versus devil fish, even though that was, you know, literally just the, like the last three minutes of that alternate ending. <laughs> right. So, and here we get, we get this, but yeah. I, I will say the, the creature effects, the tentacle effects, uh, some of the best looking stuff in the entire film, honestly, it, it's, a, it's a great opening. It's a great opening, and you think Kyra is going to come in and be the the hero, uh, like the King Kong from Ashiro Honda's King Kong versus Godzilla. But no, no, that he starts eating everyone on board the ship. He's like, "Get away from my meal, uh, giant octopus!" Yeah, and so yeah, we we get we get this evil Frankenstein and as a viewer, you don't know if this is the same one or yeah. if he went bad because all we know, all you saw last in the, in the first film is that he gets kind of, you know, the volcano explodes and he just kind of sinks down. So, yes. So, and if you're supposed to believe that this is the same one, it's like, well, why does he look so different? You know? <laughs> well, that, that still applies except we have the flashback to where, Oh no, he's always been a little monkey boy. Which well, is a I, we, which is a weird choice to begin with, and I, I dislike it immensely. Well, no, I, I think contextually we're supposed to believe that the Frankenstein from Frankenstein Conquers the World did die, and then his offshoot arose from from some part of his body, and that became Sanda. Sanda was then adopted by the the scientists 
uh, of you know Russ Tamblin and uh, is that what we're supposed to believe? Yes, because they are not brothers. Because then eventually Sanda got out, and there was some injury that caused him to bleed or lose a body part, which became Gyra. So they're not actually brothers. It's like <laughs> Frankenstein's this, the this grandfather. Movie did a very poor job communicating that because yeah. I didn't get that at all and i watched that like exactly. not even six hours ago like the the pl- plot wise it makes much more sense to be like they're both sons of frankenstein or progeny it, it's you know there's asexual right. reproduction but in fact i think it's supposed to go frankenstein santa and gyra and they're more like a you know father and son because i think gyra came after so i think that's what's <laughs> happening here one, I, one, of the, uh, one of the reasons sure, why not <laughs> this is kaiju versus history not uh, kaiju versus <laughs> dissecting the plot is some sometimes it's between the different versions of the film things are explained a little bit differently but that's what i've gathered in my trying to suss out this movie <laughs> you did a better job than i did and you did a really good job <laughs> well you're right be- it- because they do introduce gyra first and then there's like well what who is this? oh i thought like, you meant i was right by 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 praising you for get, doing a better job than <laughs> No, no. It, when you're it, like, oh, well, you're right. Thanks, jerk. It's very confusing. Um, it's, yeah, it is. And we but, we are literally researching the movie like as we we go, you know, for. Well, for and podcast. I, I want to say you, you did a good job pointing out and, and spe- yeah, specifically speaking about the historical context of this movie, yes. about this movie being based on a Japanese folktale and one of the oldest printed stories in all of Japan. Yeah, so the Sea Boy and the Mountain Boy, and I believe this the story. It's um, there, there's a couple of different names I was able to find for it for for kind of the characters' names, but Umihiko and Yamahiko, and they were siblings in this mythical kind of story. Also found the names Huri and Huduri, but is part of the Kojiki. A records of ancient matters, a translation that is from 712 AD, so 1300 years old or so. And and for those who may not be familiar, what's what's that story about? Well, it's you know very similar. It has nothing to do with Frankenstein or any kind of monster. But these okay, are well, then, then I don't I don't care anymore. These are two brothers <laughs> that farm and fish, so sea boy, mountain boy, to make their livings. And they decide to like switch jobs. I, I, I read most of the story. It's it's not long. It's, you know, whatever, a few pages, depending on like, I guess, the, the version. But it causes a rift between them. One loses like the hook for the, the fishing rod. And the other one goes in the bottom of the ocean to retrieve it and eventually falls in love with a sea princess. And eventually, Huri, one of the brothers, becomes grandfather to the first ancient emperor of Japan, Jimu. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, part of the creation myth story of modern Japan. So this is if I don't think this would like ring true, like 100 percent, like if we saw like what's something from from American culture, <laughs> like a Paul Bunyan style character, like maybe the kids that went to Saul see this movie, like kind of understood what this was, but th- th- that's where this is kind of coming from. So this is the story. Sure. That- sure. It's, it's, you know, just folk tales. And it made me laugh because we recently had a debate on our, our discord about the, the 
the kaiju status or unstatus of Paul Bunyan and Babe. <laughs> and, and Patrick and I op- tend to fall on opposite ends of these arguments. He can ice skate with butter in a hot skillet. <laughs> that's, that's a special kaiju ability, right? In but the yeah. South, we just call that a gift. <laughs> <laughs> we we haven't talked about the 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 background writing for for this film and particularly with Takeshi Kimura who who we have enjoyed movies of before like you mentioned but haven't really contrasted between one of the other main Ashiro Honda co-writers in in Shinichi uh, Sekozawa Kimura also wrote the scripts for the Mysterians so we probably mentioned them in that episode a little bit but also Frankenstein conquers the world and his movies with Honda are maybe the more adult oriented ones. I would say Mysterians is probably a little higher level. And this one in in Frankenstein conquers world, a little little darker than the the Godzilla films. For example, he also wrote on Honda films that we aren't going to cover, including the human vapor and Matango. But yeah, Mabuchi, his his actual name, was a member of the Japanese Communist Party and part of the Anpo protest that we we talked about in Japan. So it is interesting to like we, we talk a lot about Ashira Honda and his films in in this show, but we don't talk about the the authors as much. And this script, there's there's enough meat on the bone. I feel like this one. I feel like there's probably a little bit more in Frankenstein Conquers the World because we get like literal nazis in that movie and the dropping of the atomic bomb i think on hiroshima but this one is is dark and gritty in in its own way we get depictions and whether this is in the script or shira honda's work of monsters like actually eating human beings something which we'll talk about later is you know pretty singular in kaiju movies at this point, you know, I, I feel yeah, like I I was honestly the I, I, cause I even wrote a note when it first happens uh, when I guess it's uh, outside the airport. And well, at least when it first happened and it's obvious because I, I was even like, did did he eat that girl? Yeah. And <laughs> so I was I was a little confused. And it's not the first time we see that. Uh, there are times where it's much more justified, like certain terrible singer. Um, <laughs> oh, don't I, you dare, Miles. You know, it's so funny because I was watching this movie and, and Krista was watching it with me. And I would just like put out a deep sigh about this, this lady's flat, awful singing. And and then she goes, oh, man, this is this. This is one of the best parts of the movie. This is really good. She's got a gorgeous voice. And I'm thinking. <laughs> we are watching different movies. <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking, of course, of the, the the late Kip Hamilton, who I haven't really heard of before this, but sings a a, a rollicking, uh, a very <laughs> it's very awful lounge it's lizardy 1960s. One of my least favorite things that I've seen in a kaiju movie since American 50s films. <laughs> it's definitely. The, the the meeting of east and west as this is one of the last films that toho made in conjunction with benedict benedict productions a subsidiary of upa and 
we we th- that partnership allowed Nick Adams to come over for multiple Ashira Honda films and also gave us uh Russ Damplin and uh, Kip Hamilton. <laughs> so but what's I, wild I, I, dug the song i got uh i got into the song then, then i'm i must be the odd man out because you you and krista both really like the song and and the entire time like i like the actual scene i think the scene was a good choice i just i thought it was nails on a chalkboard to me <laughs> it, it, it genuinely was and i'm not even being funny i just i thought it was really pitchy and flat and it was very very oh i don't think she's a great singer but i yeah i dug the the song the the, the song in question well, is the words get it stuck was in my her head. last film role so yeah. there might be a reason for that well the, the song is called feel in my heart but the, the chorus the words get stuck in my throat is the, the the title as well and it was popular enough i think that devo did a cover and if you actually like if you search for the song i, I, I don't know if it was ever on like a soundtrack or wait, 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 wait. a record devo did of a cover of this song I believe so. Yes. So, and this is the so odd if, thing. if you look, gonna, if you if you type in the the name of the song on YouTube, Mark Mother's B is is the song version that comes up. Like okay, that Devo version is like much more popular than I. Like well, I said, I'm Devo. Not, yeah, of course it is. Well, yeah, I'm not sure if yeah, and she had already passed away by the time they decided to to do the cover. I'm not sure if this was put out on a any records of hers. Um, so and and this is the weird thing about this movie this this movie is is different in that when we talk about the cultural impact this movie has a weird amount and it's yeah. just one of those odd ones where it's like okay yeah what one of uh they've been on hiatus for some time but another great kaiju podcast uh gargantu cast takes its name and and it's it's artwork from this film and it's like it's 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 a very deep cut in general for um, it, it seems to be but this films. movie kind of is one that kind of pervades more than yeah, than yeah, you we'll, would think we'll talk about it in its, its legacy later on but I, I at the time i don't think it made as many ripples as this like i said was oh, the last probably not i think production. its box office take was about three million dollars which is still a decent take in 1966 for a japanese kaiju film the, the american version as i said didn't get released until july 29th 1970 about four years after its japanese release and yeah at that time I think afterwards is when it got some greater international releases with with that version of the film. But th- they did a complete new dub released by Marin Films for for American audiences, and they cut out a lot of the references to 1965's Frankenstein Conquers the World, as probably they should because it, it feels very tenuous to begin with. And I don't I don't think you really need that movie to watch this one. No, you know, you, you, you don't not really at all. So let's let's talk about the actual Frankensteins, because mm. if even if I'm not a massive fan of the choice and design of these creatures, the actors who played both of them did a fantastic job. Yeah. So as you can probably guess, though, the one with the most screen time, Gyra and the more menacing one, obviously, as he's the the meat eater. And the, but you, you got to get someone who knows who knows how to play one of these guys. And 
They yeah. absolutely did. <laughs> C. Frankenstein, <laughs> as he's also known, played by the the like the great uh, Haru Nakajima. He said this was one of his most favorite experiences in kaiju cinema for a few reasons. the The costumes that they made were very light, and there wasn't the you know hundreds of pounds of rubber <laughs> oh i mean yeah that you're, godzilla you're, was for yeah you're in a little fursuit where you can actually move around i'm sure he had a great time as it compared to being in the, in the the godzilla suits yeah i mean it is probably the closest thing like you said is just a gorilla suit so we're talking like something very similar to uh conga you know that well, that kind of of suit so you can they can move around a lot but this is also one of the very few costumes he was ever able to do where his eyes were not covered. Yeah. And you can actually see the emotion there as opposed to just having kind of the glass or rubber eyes that we were used to with some of the, the kaiju where you don't get as many emotions that you can make with, with those mechanical eyes. And oh yeah, that is certainly a perk. And I think that this film did a great job in that aspect. And, and so far as the kaiju were concerned that, they did a good job of telling certain stories just by the body language and the facial expressions of the Frankensteins. Yeah. And I will, I will give them full props for that, even if the movie doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> yeah. So Nakajima did enjoy this one a great deal because he was able to really put a lot of work into the choreography of the fights, which are fairly brutal. I, I don't know if they're completely, you know, wrestling or sumo or whatever inspired like they, they do for a lot of the other kaiju films. But you get to see a lot of flips, a lot of, you know, kind of pratfall kind of things, a lot of movement, which we we just don't get when he puts on a, a 300 pound Godzilla suit. Yeah. And I will say as good as as he was as Gaira, you have to give Hiroshi Sakita so much credit for his role as Sanda. Now we've seen him before in Honda Kaiju films and, and most recently in an episode, uh, the first episode of Ultra Q mm. when he worked as a, a, a rail worker. But I feel like, you know, he was, I feel like Sanda was probably the meteor role in terms of having to act and convey certain things with your yeah. body language. Yeah, so we don't get as much Sanda, but Sanda's the moral compass of the two mm-hmm. Frankenstein. So he's the one that's trying to reform his his sibling, I guess. Yes, and we'll we'll see Sakita again as Ibra, and I think it, at some points he plays old Big G himself, mm-hmm. in son of Godzilla. The role originally was offered to uh, Shoichi uh, Hiroshi, who was. King Kong in King Kong versus Godzilla, but he was already involved in another project when when this one was was offered to him. Yeah, I think this is if we're we're keeping a tally the third time we get to see Haru Nakajima lit on fire while inside a suit <laughs> as uh, always that, a good time. That chest hair went up in flames one of the first times I think, and this is one of the the most prominent uses of the Mazer cannons in, in a kaiju film, something we're going to see a 
lot of this is a type 66 major cannon that will show up in a lot of other kaiju films uh, basically until the end of the the showa era we, we haven't talked too much about the suits you weren't big on them and you know besides the coloration yeah there's not a lot to write home about the pseudimation designs except i will say the masks or the faces of the monsters were created by taking life masks of the two actors so it is their face but like they they built up upon upon it yeah yeah yeah. like a, a rubberized version of it so the final forms are kind of exaggerated makeup and it reminds me a lot of the twilight zone episode i have the beholder where I think they do something very similar. They take the actors and they they kind of built up upon their their features. So you get a lot of those two suit actors in in this movie. And we, we've already talked about kind of a similar thing that they did in Daimajin. And it worked very well. It was a very effective kind of monster creation. This one, though, the bodysuits... I mean, they're there. <laughs> they're technically yeah. there. They look good. They just, there's not a lot of defining features. We don't even get a toga made out of animal pelts in this movie. They're just wearing fur <laughs> for whatever reason. You would think they would have some more dif- differences. One being like raised in the mountains and the other being an underwater Frankenstein. You know, they they, they talk about how the Frankenstein cells merged with like algae. It's like, well, that just made him a different color. That seems like it would do a lot more. Yeah. I, I just, I just, can we talk about some of the other cast members here? We have uh, Kumi Mizuno coming back. She was also in Frankenstein conquers the world as a different doctor here <laughs> in, in this film. Uh, she was also uh, Namikawa in Invasion of the Astro Monster, a, a role that we very much enjoyed. And where else have we seen her? Oh, she was in Gorath, I think, as the love interest of that movie. I don't really remember her portrayal there, but does well in this opposite. Not Nick Adams, but a replacement in the form of Russ Tamblin. And I don't know, maybe if they could have gotten Nick Adams back, they would have made it like a true sequel, but like they yeah. didn't have that. I mean, I like I liked Ross Tamlin in his movie. Just I mean, he's for all little, the for all the for all wooden. the good he did. I mean, listen, none of the human stuff matters at all in this movie. <laughs> it's it's very much a kaiju driven story. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's well because usually usually there's some sort of of bare bones human plot to follow. How do we stop it, them? What, it is, where do it they is come from? The monsters attack. Oh, you guys know Frankenstein's right. Maybe that that's their answer. Oh, we 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 knew one. We we might know this one, and and it's it's like a, a scavenger hunt to 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 make a connection. But like it just it doesn't matter. And and any time spent with them, it's like I don't dislike them, but I also just don't care. And some of the scenes come off feeling really weird, like when they go for those weird walks, and and they hear the young people singing, and they come up with that weird explanation as to why they're so carefree, and then. You know, the monster comes and you have the whole, oh, wait, I think this one remembers me. The whole thing is just. You you would (sighs) think they would have a a similar setup to the the two doctors from from the first 
Yeah, like or anything. Like they had the flashback <laughs> with a child actor in the Santa costume. Yeah, it's, it's, just, oh, it's very just, weird. It's, Look, it's very. <laughs> I just died. I did not have a great time. The well, you know who else didn't have a great time? R- Russ Tamblin. <laughs> Russ Tamblin apparently hated his dialogue so much that he ad libbed most of his lines. Yes, and a, uh, a fact that made Ashira Honda and other cast and crew hate him. Hate hated his performance. Hated him on an offset. Most famously known for West Side Story. So this is only five years after that film came out. I, I know him from his other big role. <laughs> yeah, we both Better. know him as Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks, which, yeah. I mean, he's still... Shovel it! Shovel it! <laughs> he's still, like, 20 years away from from that here. But, yeah, this is, like, a 32-year-old Russ Hamblin, so uh, I guess... and and But he's already been in Hollywood for, like, the majority of his life. He was a child right. actor as well. So, yeah, probably a bit of a diva on set. Well... Yeah, co-producer Sepsin of UPA said that he was a royal pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, and so the international dub of the film proceeded without him as supposedly a lot of his audio that was recorded when they shot the film was lost. So, it, But I think in the U.S. release, so the one that you watched, they did have him re-record all of his lines. And he had great difficulty with that because... <laughs> You know, he didn't write them down when he was ad-libbing, so he had to basically make them up again for that that dub, which, yeah, that's probably why the director, when he's trying to do multiple takes, didn't want you to to ad-lib them all. So, all right, you 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 clearly enjoyed this much more than I did. So why don't you tell me what your favorite were? Not that I'm much look, more. But I'm I looking did. at your rate. I'm looking at your rating, and uh, that says otherwise. Um, uh, so, when you tell me, tell me what about this movie worked so well for you? What was your favorite scene? Because I'm I'm struggling here. Like, I mean, there were definitely scenes that I enjoyed in terms of watching Kaiju Spectacle, but oh, there's by and large, this is probably the I was just the least amount I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed it probably about as much as the first one, if not a little more. But yeah, I, I'm just I am not a fan of this. Of, of the execution of this concept at all. And so no matter what this movie does, it's it's already got an uphill battle for me. But I know you liked the first one a little bit more than I did. And you seem to enjoy this one more than I did. So t- t- tell me a little bit about what works for you for this one. You know, I did like this more. I'm, I'm going back and looking at my score for Frankenstein Conquers the World. I like this more than that movie. I think what works well is... This takes on some well, it, it it has an odd tone. There are both like zany, wacky comedy bits, but also like kind of horror bits. The the eating of of humans, and there's a great scene where Gyra shows up underneath the the boat uh, until you see like a water shot of him like looking up, and then you know flips the boat, and the 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 two <laughs> fishermen have like a zany like, oh, we gotta get out of here. Laurel and Hardy kind of reaction. So it, it, it it's an odd mix of, of tone, but like the, it the is elements, very much totally all over the place. Yeah. The, the monster battles, those all really work for me. I really like the last fight where we see the, the two gargantuas fighting the city, getting demolished at the same time, they're shooting a maser cannon and they're trying to say, no, you know, don't shoot Santa, shoot Gyra. It probably has the most like Kaiju, 
action of a lot of the the 1960s films and part of that is because those suits allowed them to like you know keep going the, the bad thing about the suits being so light though is they, they probably felt a lot of those hits you know i don't think they were yeah. very well trained stuntmen <laughs> yeah i mean the, the 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 finale of them fighting in the city is a, a very well done spectacle like i can't i can't knock it for them a lot of the model work was pretty solid and like I said, that that opening scene with the with the devilfish was awesome, like yeah. grade A horror movie stuff. And so I agree with you there. But this movie's tone just flies all over the place, mm. and so it's 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 harder for me. But in in terms of that, like the actual, if you, if you just parse out some of the the kaiju stuff in terms of its actual spectacle, it's not bad at all. Uh, yeah, but I agree that. But this movie was, like I said, it was rushed. the The screenplay's final draft was handed in April twenty third, and they shot the movie. They started on May 9th, so a couple weeks later, and finished on June fourth for a July release date. <laughs> this this movie was like That's insane. That's an insane process. Like editing that must have been a nightmare. They pumped it out July 31st. So they had so how, uh, how long do they have? They have to write that script. I mean, I think it was probably what March. So like maybe a month before. Man, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't make bold claims, but if I had nothing to do for a month and you asked me to write a script, <laughs> I feel like it would be better than this. <laughs> well, so the, the, the whole thing of the, one of the reasons why everyone listening to this podcast should probably check out Ishiro Honda's biography by um, Godzowski and, and Rifle really goes into the constraints of the studio. What exactly? I mean, no, it's it's an excellent, excellent biography that is painstakingly researched. And yeah. I, I agree with Patrick, you should buy it. And if not just for the Kaiju stuff, you get to you get to read so much about the other side of Ishiro Honda's filmography that we probably will never get to see. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those movies I feel like could have been really lost if it didn't have such a, a lasting legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll, is... we'll talk about that in just a second, but mm -hmm. I feel like we should start talking about our ratings for this film. Right. So I, I enjoyed it a good deal. And like I said, more so than Frankenstein conquers the world, despite all its issues. And one of those at the very, very tippy top is kind of pacing it it delivers a lot of of punch and if you're looking for in my opinion a non-godzilla you know showa era kaiju movie I, I i'm sure there are there are a couple better than this one but i think this one is yeah, most gamera yeah a lot of gamera obviously but <laughs> if you're looking for also another shira honda one this is top of the list very fun monster action we, we actually see the military and humans being effective in a kaiju battle, <laughs> setting a kaiju on fire, which that that is their Frankenstein's typical weakness. It doesn't seem to really affect <laughs> the ones in this movie, but yeah, some some interesting kaiju seem battles. To get shot, and that seems to really hurt them a little bit more. <laughs> uh, so, for personal enjoyment, I could probably watch this movie again, and I gave it a nine out of ten. So, very high up there as far as watchability so for me. It's funny because I, I I thought I liked this more than Frankenstein Conquers the, the World. And I'm looking at the ratings that I gave Frankenstein Conquers the World. And while it's a different placement, my ratings are almost the exact same <laughs> in, in terms of which numbers I used. 
Right. Uh, my enjoyment of this one was a six, which is probably the lowest I've given to a, a Japanese kaiju movie from the sixties. I, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I'm pretty sure that is, oh, well, no, I gave that to Dogra as well. Anything that resembles uh, a King Kong style monster, you're just like, no, I mean, thing. like I said, I was Franken, even if you're using the Frankenstein concept, if it's not like gone a specific way, I'm just, I'm just not interested. I gave the first one a seven. Uh, mostly because it had a coherent story to go along with it. Whereas this one, I mean, you can follow it. It's not difficult. It's just nonsense and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I was bored for a lot of this movie. There is some excellent acting on the part of the kaiju actors and specifically Sakita, because there, there's a moment mm-hmm. where the, the assault on, Gyra is going well. And then Santa pops in and kind of looks back at the humans like, what are you guys doing, you jerks? Like, almost offended. And that whole scene is so well done. And they don't communicate at the moment. And they eventually do, which kind of forgives a scene, that that Santa is ignorant of Gyra's like carnivorous ways. Yeah. Well, th- I, I don't think they had spent time together before that scene. So he's just like coming out. Yeah, like, so what, what is happening? Why are you yeah, attacking the, them? What's happening amongst the, the, the gargantuas needed to be communicated so much better because that scene would work mm-hmm. in a movie that did better with the concept. And I, I, it's a bummer because I do think those actors did a tremendous job and their work in the finale fight is excellent. Yeah. It's just a bummer for me because everything else just falls so flat. Yeah. And if there was more of a connection between some of the human characters and Sanda, if we got more of Sanda in the movie, I feel like it would have yeah. given purpose and helped with some of the pacing issues. T- technically I am digging it for, for that, for some of the, the script problems it oh, had. Yeah. And, but for the most part, the actual, design elements and technical elements are very good though for a super eye film it does lag behind in a few ways we get some very bad blue screen and mm-hmm. things like the boat scene where <laughs> kip is is almost eaten and then just dropped like a sack of potatoes um, but i will say one thing i do like about this movie is we have a a similar scaling it isn't a a godzilla height for these two monsters they're a little shorter like three or four stories tall. So the model work that they were born to do in this film looks different from, from other Kaiju movies. And it, it, it does. And I, I agree with you. I think the model work in this, this film is fantastic. I think that the, the Kaiju acting and Kaiju work is really solid. And what, what was your score for technical for technical? I'm giving it an eight. So I am dinging it for, for some of those elements uh, relating more to the script. But yeah, there's also some, some bad blue screen and, you know, yes, not the um, best kaiju costuming. No, world. it's not. And so I, I ding it a little bit more. I'm giving it a seven, which is only just one point less. But I, mm-hmm. yeah, I dislike the designs. Yeah. If it were if it were called like Sasquatch War, I probably feel differently. <laughs> um, I do think the the troubles on set with Russ Tamlin is a little tangible. You can tell there's very little chemistry amongst the actors. Mm, yeah. And 
I mean, no one gave a, a, that memorable of a performance outside of maybe the, the, the first guy shouting for the captain, who seemed to just be gone. I guess got ate, eaten already. Yeah, I, I, I didn't understand if they had already been eaten or if they were still below well, decks or, or uh, what. Again, but. that is a script problem. I think the script is the biggest problem with this this film. And ultimately, I think it fails the film. I think without the spectacle that the the kaiju actors and the all of the artists doing the model work did, I think this movie would have been a far bigger dud. But because of that, I think it elevates the film. So I'm I'm all, I'm I'm giving it a seven, but I mean it's really because of how good those kaiju actors were and how solid the model work was because there's a lot of aspects about this that just don't work for me. Onto its evocative nature as kind of a piece of art, as how it resonates in the kaiju cinema history. So, uh, somehow it's an extremely influential yeah, film. This is weird. Like One thing that I read about this movie that kind of like, well, this, this automatically just elevates its score is that Brad Pitt has cited this movie as the film that inspired him to pursue acting. So it came out in 1970 and I guess that's like a eight year old Brad Pitt or somewhere along those lines in the United States. And yeah, <laughs> at the 2012 Oscars, he called out this movie. I don't even think he remembered the name. He's like something about gargantuans. <laughs> uh, you can, you can find that clip online and yeah, this is what, got him into acting and i wonder if it was russ tamplin or if it was the actual monsters emoting you know the, the haru nakajima and i would i would I, honestly if i had the chance to talk to brad pitt that would probably be one of the questions that i would ask because i like learning that was one of the biggest things because everyone else that has like cited this as an inspiration or a favorite of theirs like tim burton and Quentin Tarantino and Guillermo del Toro, that's kind of the usual suspects who's going to love these movies or be inspired by these films, you know? Yeah, but I mean, Quentin Tarantino went so far as one section of Kill Bill Volume 2 is named War of the Gargantuas. The Blonde uh, oh, Gargantuas. The, yeah, sorry, War of the Blonde Gargantuas. And supposedly he showed that final battle between the gargantuas to Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah before that. I, I would love fight. to be a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah. during when that moment when he's in time. Popping in that, D, that DVD or laser disc, <laughs> knowing him. Because you know Tarantino is just like firing like a thousand words a minute. And I bet both of those women were like, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> he's <What>? like, <laughs> you know, grab a grab some popcorn. We're gonna just show you a part of this movie. Feel free to take your shoes off, kick kick your feet back up, have some popcorn. Definitely take those socks off, and uh, let's watch War of the Gargantuas. More importantly, I think well, I, I mentioned this the the I guess kind of cannibalism almost of the Gargantuas inspired Hajime Isayami who saw this as a child to uh, when he created attack on Titan, which is a, that makes sense. A manga in an anime series. And they had a live action adaptation and it's about giants who eat people <laughs> series. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, one of the, 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 the biggest anime and manga in the world of the last 10 years, this was a, a massive hit. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I, I could, I get it. <laughs> but like you said, it 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 with Del Toro and other people, it, like it makes sense. I'm still giving it very low points. I because this is almost closer to a King Kong sequel or a King Kong knockoff than a movie that kind of forges its own 
place in kaiju history. It doesn't feel like a, a Frankenstein Conquers the World sequel. <laughs> it feels like they had a couple months in their their schedule and they wanted to fill it with something. So for me, I'm giving it a 6 out of 10, even though Brad Pitt might give it a 10 out of 10 here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I gave it a 7 um, because the people that were inspired or cite it as one of their favorites. I, I can't knock that. I mean, I, I, I believe Del Toro when he says it's in his top five Kaiju films, he is a Frankenstein nut and he loves some of these kind of outsider Kaiju films. So that does not surprise me one bit. And uh, Del Toro is one of my favorite directors. And so I, that, that carries a lot of weight for me, but also, you know, you can't deny whether you let or whether you like him or not, you know, Brad Pitt has had a tremendous effect on the pop culture of the last 30 years. So, you know, (sighs) (laughs) he has, I mean, I'm sure he probably saw some other movies that might've inspired him as well. But but. he cited this in his Oscar speech, Patrick. I mean, that goes a long way. (laughs) It wasn't, it it was a segment for the Oscars. It wasn't during his speech. It doesn't matter. (laughs) The fact that he thought of this movie at all on actual Oscars like film (laughs) Goes a long way. I mean, I'm not giving it it's, a ten. It's, it's, it's it's probably the most. And he well, he didn't even say the correct name. Well, I don't expect him to. American I don't expect film. him to know the name of the film. Well, if it's um, the movie that inspired you to get into acting, you would you would think it would it would at least you you you, you go back think, and take a take a but second. Brad Pitt does not does, does not strike me as a time the kind of person who looks back okay. to check what a title was. So that brings you to a high six. And me, a high seven, splitting the difference. We're giving this basically the same score as Frankenstein Conquers World for the podcast final. It's a seven out of ten, which I'm perfectly fine with. Yeah, I, 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 I would be upset if it was any higher, but I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with it being seven, even though I gave it a six in my personal enjoyment. This is a film that a, a lot of people do pretty much enjoy. Yeah. I, I just don't care for it as much. I'd, I'd be interested, like I said, to to go back and look at how much we enjoyed the various authors, the the screenwriters for these films, and where that lands on these these scores. But I really like the Mysterians. I really like this one. I as, you know I like Mysterians a lot, and they're what's they're weird. That, you know they're weird. Yeah, movies. and what's wild about this one is this, so in America. It was put on the double feature with Monster Zero or Invasion of Astro Monster. Mm-hmm. And that's a great so double I feature. Can, well, yeah. Well, so I can see why this might have gotten a lot of eyes on it because, I mean, Monster Zero or Invasion of Astro Monster is a top tier kaiju <laughs> film. So I can imagine more eyes getting seen because of that double feature. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> Uh, I'd be mad about it if I had to watch this film first, but I I imagine this was the 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 B film, the B film. Yeah, 100% for 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 those two. But yeah, this is the one that Brad Pitt got to. How many times did we say mention Brad Pitt this episode? He's not been in a kaiju movie yet. Yeah. So seven out of ten. That's going to do it for this week's episode there. I don't even think we've scratched the surface on 
some of the the history, the trivia behind this movie. So there's more to talk about, and you can can give us your own factoids about it by emailing us at Kaiju versus History at Gmail or on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. I'll go on to our website or talk to us on our Cosmic Crit Discord. But yeah, feel free to rate our show, comment, share with friends, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you so much, Miles. Thank you, listeners. And we will catch you next time when we return once more to the past. And we go once more for another turn in a trilogy of films. That's right. Tune in next time for history versus Return of Dimagen. <laughs> <laughs>